What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. Show and go with Taylor Davis. And I want to start this podcast talking about base running as weird and as boring as that sounds. But there's something that, you know, somebody near and dear to your heart has perfected and passed along to a couple of people that are working on further perfecting it. And uh, you see Anthony Volpe and Aaron Judge doing it in the Yankees, you know, system and uh, with the Yankees. And, you know, all of a sudden we've got Ken Rosenthal writing an article about it. We're also going to walk through some bounce back candidates um, on, you know, pretty much each team in the American League. Taylor Davis busted out the high life again. I'm going with the Aquafina. Love it. Florida living, man. Like that screams Florida. Does this not scream Florida man? Me sitting on my back patio drinking a high life with a big league chew t-shirt. The boys talking, baby. I love it, man. I'm just here in Indiana land sucking down water. Um, hey, I want to talk about this article in the Athletic from Ken Rosenthal. the The title of the article is "The Base Stealing Technique That Has Yankees Looking Quote Like Usain Bolt and Others Following." This was published on Tuesday, the 11th. And, you know, it highlights Matt Tallarico, who's sick title, by the way, you should work to get this title. The director of speed development and base running. That's so hot. But, um, you know, it, it pretty much goes into this idea of this leap slash vault movement that, that Tallarico calls it a momentum lead. Um, Mike Roberts, who you know very well, is he still the, the base running coordinator for the Pirates? He is not the base running coordinator, but he is a base running consultant. Okay. He's a base running consultant for the Pirates. He used to refer to it as a jump lead. He has since changed the wording to a shuffle lead. Just tell me about it. Because, like, obviously, if you read the article, you get a, a decent feel for, you know, what it means. It's pretty much like a, a hop before your secondary lead or when you're going, when you think a guy's going to deliver. But through a player's lens that has worked with Mike Roberts. Tell me about how you actually implement this thing. Let me start by saying Mike Roberts is just a A plus human being, man. One one of the best guys around baseball that you'll find. Um we're gonna we're gonna work to get him on this podcast. I don't think that should be an issue, but um he credits the 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 lead with um from his son from his son. Um you know, he said that Brian Roberts really, and for those that don't know, uh, Mike Roberts was the head head coach at the University of North Carolina for, I believe, 20-plus years. His son is Brian Roberts, uh, the major leaguer with the Orioles. And um, he still actually, to this day, coaches in the Cape. He's coached in the Cape for a really long time. Um, very, very legendary uh, head coach. But he cred- he gives credit to his son for doing it um, and really learning how to do it. And I the the key for his son was learning how to do it from second to third he wanted to figure out how to be successful from second to third. And if you go look, his success rate um, is extremely high relative to the rest of the league um, on all steals, but especially going from second to third. Um, and yeah, the, the whole concept is, is, you know, an object in motion is going to, is going to stay in motion. An object in motion is going to be faster than the object standing still. So um, trying to get you to get something moving towards second base prior to you really taking off um now part of that means you can have a shorter lead and then kind of work into that um the important thing to note is it looks a little bit different for everybody it's gonna look different for me than it does for anthony volpe or aaron judge but the interesting part is that it 
could be where it could work for me. It could work for Anthony Volpe. It could work for Aaron Judge. It can work for everybody. And that's his um, one of his things is this doesn't just work for base runners. This works for guys that aren't base runners. Yeah. You can steal bases this way. And uh, it's ex- it's an extremely successful tactic. It's very unconventional for the uh, baseball purist. And it's very uncomfortable for a lot of runners. Um, you know, if you watch it, a lot of guys don't feel comfortable doing it yet. But the once the guys do figure it out and get it, man, it is so difficult to stop. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at Brian Roberts' baseball reference page. 2007 was his second all-star appearance. He was 50 for 57 in the stolen base department. And you can look at that and be like, okay, guy's fast as hell, whatever. I'm looking at the end of his career as well. 32 years old in 2010, he was 12 for 14. 33 years old, he was 6 for 7. 35 years old, he was 3 for 4. 36 years old with the Yankees, he's 7 for 11. So obviously, like that's a guy that's losing a step after he hits the other side of 30, and he's still stealing bases at a high efficiency. So this works. And, and I loved this quote here from Anthony Volpe's coach at the Del Barton School in New Jersey uh, in this athletic article. I think it, it sums it up best. His name is Bruce Chattel. And he says, quote, if you're in a Ferrari at a stoplight and I'm in my Toyota, but I roll into that stop and you're at a dead stop, I'm going to beat you off the line 100 times out of 100. And I was like, dude, that's the perfect way to view this. And, and you know, there are some like gifts in this article about, you know, judge hopping in 2022 compared to, you know, standing still and swiping a bag in 2021. And it just looks like you're off to a head start, man. Now, the natural thing that like the non-player thinks of is, well, this should be much easier for a pitcher to pick the base runner off. And what's the counter argument to that? Counter argument is that it, it's it's still really difficult for a pitcher to see a runner at first base. You're, you're, you know, you're going to do this with lefties also, but this is based around right-handed pitching for the most part, because that's what there's more of. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that when the pitcher isn't looking at you, it is very difficult for them to see anything because the angle is so severe. Um, and even at second base, they're going to give you plenty of times where they're not watching. And so when they're not looking, you can take that extra, you know, that extra little spark. But like we talked about, you're already starting out with a shorter lead. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a leash. Um, especially at second base, you're going to get a little bit of a leash because you're closer. Uh, and, and, and the, the best of this have the ability to time it with, that's the, that's how these guys do it. Right. If it were me, I would have to time it perfect. Hope he didn't see me and get way out there. Right. But, but and you'd be panicking too. Like you'd be falling back and it's like, I, I know he's going to come over after I hop. Yeah. Yeah. But like the, the Anthony Volpe's. He can start close, and like you said, he doesn't have to get as big of a lead. And the other part about like the the Corolla Ferrari part is, I'm sure everybody would say, yeah, but the Ferrari is going to catch up. There's not enough distance for the the Ferrari to catch up. So the Corolla, even if they meet at the same time, the point is the slower guy got there as fast as the faster guy. So, um, you know, it's a really, really there's a reason that Mike has been so successful in teaching this, and there's a reason that. Um, I don't know how public it is, but like he's, you know, obviously he's had something to do with the Yankees. He's now had something to do with um, the Pirates. When I was with the Orioles, he was with the Orioles. When I was with the Cubs, he was with the Cubs. So there's a reason that he's been able to do all of that. Um, and and guys still bring him around and still send the best base runners in the world to see him. So that's so cool, man. Like now 
my question is obviously the Yankees organization is doing this and there's literally a, a published article out there on how effective this is. So you could say concretely that the book is out. Do you think yeah. that this is the base running model? This is the base stealing model that will be adopted by the majority of major league baseball. I I'll be honest with you. I think, I think most already have a taste of this. If you haven't, if the team hasn't completely sold out to it, um, there's definitely been a taste of it. Guys that are good base, you know, like anything else, right? The thing, the whatever you do in 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 your life, to get to be the best that you want to be, all you're going to be able to do is watch the best at their position at that position, and and aim to get there, right? And and, and copy what they do and try to do that, it, just like in baseball. So you're you're watching what the best in the world do. So the good base runners, the good teams are going, okay, uh uh, I don't know who led the league in stolen bases last year. Um, uh, it was Birdie with the Marlins. Yeah, there you go. What is Birdie doing? Like what what is he doing when when Trevino is stealing all these pitches and getting more strikes than everybody else? What is he doing? Let's right. copy what he's doing because it's working. Right. Um you're gonna do it on on the base running side also. And uh so I think guys are doing it. I think you will definitely see more of it, though. That if if that's what you're asking, yes, you're going to see this all over the place. Yeah, I, I love that point you bring up because there are certain ways that guys will take a ground ball, right? Like Nico Horner takes a ground ball in a way that is is exceptional, and you know you've got guys that are in that Cub system that I'm sure are watching Nico, and it's hey, how does Nico do it at second base? Because you know I'll do it that way as well. The amount of lefty power bats I've talked to that say they watch. Jordan Alvarez ad nauseum yeah. is incredible. And, and the righty power bats that watch judge ad nauseum because the swing's so simple. Okay. What do they do to yeah. maximize and, and simplify? How I, exactly. How can I copy that? Now I'm actually going to have to shift inside because thankfully I am in Florida and it's raining because it's Florida and why wouldn't it rain right now? Right. Um, let me say this is that I actually, this is a really interesting conversation. We're not even going to get to the breakouts after I bring this up. I guarantee you that because you're going <laughs> to you're going to love this. But the the interesting conversation that I have for you is when we talk about the steroid era. Okay, we talk about the. Uh, let me see. Sorry. There we go. Uh, when we talk about the steroid era, we we think about the fact that as soon as the steroid era was over, we we went through a power outage, yeah. right? We started testing for steroids. And don't get me wrong. Part of that, I'm sure, has to do with the steroids. But I want you to think about this, too. And you're not quite old enough to remember this, but like my generation, I grew up coming up in baseball with, I want you to take a very small step. I want you to have a very small hand movement. And I want you to go straight down to the ball. Yeah. The reason that we were taught that is because that's what the best hitters in baseball were doing. Yeah. If you go watch those guys, that's what they were doing. Now, what I'll tell you is I think the a part of the reason that you saw a drought was because without steroids, those guys could not do that. Mm -hmm. Right? So what happened? To hit more home runs, guys started adding a leg kick. They figured out how to add torque and how to add energy to the swing. Um, and, and, you know, now we're figuring out that 
we can use biomechanics to do that, right? Now we're figuring out that if we get everything working right, you don't have to have the leg kick. Um, but I always thought it was fascinating that nobody really talked about that, that the reason that I hit like I did was because Mark McGuire was, was hitting 60 every year. The reason that I did was because these guys looked like they had these tiny moves, which they did, yet they were hitting the ball 500 feet. Yeah. So every high school coach in America, as they should, was taking this and saying, this is how you do it. The best in the world are doing it this way. This is how you should do it. And I think it really led to this, I don't want to call it like a crisis, but I think it led to this, um, you know, this peak area in our game where like all we could do was hit hard line drives and that just wasn't good enough uh, for everybody. We had to figure out how to hit home runs and we went back to the leg kick, but yeah, no. And it took the physically exceptional to overcome that with the simple swing. So like Miguel Cabrera, when he got to Detroit, all of a sudden was able to hit 35 to 40 home runs and he led the AL in home runs in uh, it looks like 2008. I've got the home run leaders by year up now because I wanted to look post Bonds and Sosa and Tomei. And Tomei was a clean guy, but Tomei was doing this, you know, like at the height of the steroid era. Um, I wanted to look post that era who was leading each league in home runs. And you've got guys, you know, Alex Rodriguez, it's a totally different conversation. David Ortiz, he was genetically built to hit home runs. And again, that's a conversation that could be, you know, tied in there. But I also look at a guy like Ryan Howard, who was physically massive and was a mistake hitter. He put together maybe the best mistake hitting season that we've seen in 06 when he hit 58 homers. If you gave him a fastball in his wheelhouse, it was going 430 feet. After that, you've got Albert Pujols, right? And Pujols is just a line drive hitter that happened to hit 40 over a fence. Um, and Prince Fielder, massive human being. The guys that jump out to me are like a Miguel Cabrera, who's so simple and he was just strong enough. But then a Jose Bautista, who had that huge knee kick, right? And had that whippy swing. How about a Matt Kemp? A lot of moving parts in that one, too. Yeah. So there are a lot of guys that that needed to get a little chaotic to get that torque and hit that many homers. Well, and the other thing is like, you know, and you kind of mentioned it there, but, you know, the, when I say home run drought, you still had your guys at the top, right? Sure. I think the difference was everybody wasn't hitting 20. Like last year, for example, uh, I'll be biased because I was there, but the Pittsburgh Pirates had, what, four rookies hit over 10. They almost had four rookies hit 15. Diego Castillo hit 10 home runs in probably a third or a fourth of a major league season. And nobody even talked about it. If that had happened 10 years ago, he's he's not not in the big leagues, right? Like Diego Castillo's sitting in, in Reno right now. Yeah. And at, look, I'm not saying the executives made the wrong decision. I'm just saying it's a different facet of our game and we're in a different spot than we were. I just feel like that is the difference, is that it's always been important to hit 40 without question. You always had to do something a little more special if you hit less than 10. But now the guys that hit 20 aren't necessarily extremely high valued unless you do something else. So I, I just went back year by year and I'm looking at guys that hit 20 plus 
And I'm seeing in 2022, there were 71 guys that hit 20 or more home runs. But in 2012, there were 79 guys. I'm trying to find, you know, that weird middle ground. Like, was 07, you feel like, the middle ground? Yeah, but even know. then... And maybe I, mean, I'm, I, I could be off, but I do think that that it happened. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you. Because when I just think league-wide, I'm sure there are... Here's the thing. There are more guys now that have no power that hit 10. Right. And like, that's way too many to count on this list. Like we're right. getting into like the 200 range. Um, that didn't happen in 2012. If you had no power, you were D Gordon. You were one Pierre. Out a year. You were Juan Pierre. Yes. You're Juan Pierre. Now the no power guys like Juan may hit six this year and he's well, and the like, bottom of the barrel. And and how many of those guys are, are in the game? Very, very few. No, I mean, you you can name them, right? Like Madrigal, if he's playing every day with the Cubs. Quan. I, I, Perdomo was one of those guys. Geraldo Perdomo in, in Arizona, he was one of those guys last year. And, and he's got, what, like four right now already. So, I mean, dude, I think everybody has the capability to hit 10 now. And you attribute that to what? Is it the emphasis on launch angle? Uh, not the emphasis on launch angle. I think that's something that gets relatively overblown. I think that's a hype word that everybody likes to sit on. It was a weird one in the late 2010s. Everybody loved that phrase. Well, it was so against the norm, right? That was the rebel, like the rebel thought your whole life was hit, hit the ball in a line drive. If you miss, miss on the ground. Now the conversation is hit a hard line drive. If you miss, miss in the air. Um, it's a very similar conversation, but what we have found, the biggest thing we found is that the doubles, the triples, and the home runs end up mean, being more valuable to a team than the singles. So I would rather you attempt to hit a double, a triple, or a home run every at-bat rather than try to hit a single, and your best opportunity to hit a double, triple, or home run is by putting the ball in the air. Yeah. And so I don't think that's necessarily wrong. What I do think is that there's a certain group of players, not a large group, but a certain group of players at which that just does not apply to. Yeah. There is that group of Nicky Lopez's that needs to hit the ball on the, the, the ground and hit the ball in the line and run. Give yourself that opportunity. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of these left-handed speedsters that, are coming up with this thought of hitting the ball in the air, it could limit their their potential ability. It could limit their earning power if they have an opportunity to hit the ball to the shortstop and beat it out. That needs to be accounted for. You know, G1 Bay is a guy that um, eventually he should get to the point where with two strikes he can slap the ball in the Tony Gwynn hole and beat out a, beat out a ball to first. Okay. Um, Real quick know. aside, though. I got to ask you how amped you were for Bay for that walk-off homer against Ryan Presley. Bay is the best. He's the absolute best. He, uh, I, I talked to him. He was, I actually, I talked to him the day that O'Neill got hurt and he was, he was sad, but uh, you know, I, he may get an opportunity to, to really show what he's worth. And um, you know, you know how I feel about Bay. I got, 
you know, I, I am I am as high on Bay as a person, as a as a human being, and as a player as, as just about anybody. So yeah, man. I mean, I got to watch him just from baseball perspective for a whole year and I was blown away. I mean, that guy is an incredibly talented player that should be a big leaguer for the next decade plus. He's an underrated player in that system. It's crazy to say. But you know, the other thing is like we talked about Javi Baez and how Javi Baez had an opportunity to wow you with something every single time he stepped on the field and Bay can do that. Yeah. Right. He stole 30 bases last year without trying. Yeah. Like he, there was like a two month window where he didn't steal bases. Feels like 40s in the tank. Dude, he he's he's got 40 in the tank. And I'm telling you, in in 10 years, when he's an older major leaguer, he's got he's got 20 plus in the tank, too. There's juice in there. Damn, man. OK, fair. Um. Yeah, I mean, shit, do you want to stay on the steroid thing? I know we talked about wanting to do that. Yeah, I mean, we could. We could talk steroids. We're we're getting ready to get a we're getting ready to get somebody back. Oh no, that's right. We're gonna wait till that guy does come back. Okay, we're waiting there. It's so a it's a good preview. I think we're gonna shelve the the bounce back candidate thing for next week. And we're also going to shelve that steroid conversation that we just got into for a moment because if you want Taylor's unfiltered steroid thoughts. We're going to talk about that in like a week or so when, when one of the game's brightest stars does come back uh, from a steroid suspension. But we want to hit on one other article that came out. One other, I don't want to call it an outburst, but there was a, a revelation of sorts from Evan Gaddis and Gaddis, former Brave, former Astro. Uh, and there were some pretty jarring things put out on Twitter and that ended up you know, get, getting a, a massive audience there. What were your main takeaways from that? I'll, I'll lay out exactly what he said here in a moment. You know, um, the I, I'll tell you this. The whole thing bothers me, um, obviously. Some of it more than others, because I do feel as though part of this was what we all did when we were 14 and 15 and in high school, stealing signs and giving it back to our teammates somehow. I think it was that with the added availability of some technology. So a little bit of me thinks that there should have been knowledge by the catchers and the other teams that people are watching. And if you do something too simple, if you do something too often, we're going to figure it out and we're going to use it and we're going to get it. Now, the buzzers, if the buzzers were real, i that's a totally different subject to me. Yeah, we don't uh, know if buzzers were real. That that whole thing, yeah, right. That whole thing to me is, is a totally different story. But as far as stealing signs go, I don't know. But what I will tell you is having the ability to know what's coming in real time, that's a game changer on, on the negative side for me. Um, and, and if we were talking about a pitch here or there, a pitcher here or there, maybe – we're talking about you knowing every single pitch that's coming. Yeah. And that is just a, a – I can't fathom being the person that lost to them hearing that, I guess, is, is kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, and, and now it's twofold because the Yankees have to deal with that and the Dodgers have to deal with that. This is from the New York Post, and obviously this is all taken from Evan Gaddis's, you know Twitter rant, I guess, a couple nights ago, but – he, he said, he tweeted, quote, I remember knowing what was coming against Clayton Kershaw. The trash cans were out in full force in the World Series, which is 
a pretty insane thing. He also said as a team, we swung and missed a handful of times only against him. That was that 13 to 12 game five, which like. Did you see, did you, did you see it showed how many swings and misses against Clayton Kershaw? Did you see? No. How many whiffs? He threw, I believe, I want to say through 94 pitches in that game. Through four and two thirds. Four. No way. He is historically that curveball. It's one of the most swung and missed at pitches in the history of the game. The slider, too, man. Like, yeah, that's egregious. It is egregious. And the thing is, like, Kershaw, I wouldn't even say that the monkey is off his back right now because that World Series win came in 2020. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, you know, the funny part is later on in the article, he goes on to talk about how they couldn't score off a Darvish when they knew what was coming. Um, but like, you know, honestly, it made me think about, I don't know. I think we talked about it before about Kenta Maeda and the pitch this year. Did I tell you about that story? No, you did. So apparently I don't think it was Christian Vasquez could have been, but somebody was catching Maeda in a start and nobody told him, but the catcher had his pitch up way too high and the hitter could hear every single pitch that was coming. That's different. No, 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 it's not cheating. It's just funny yeah. because they didn't score. Right. Oh, they didn't score. That's good. And, and after and after he came out of the game, they told him, they said, hey, we can hear what's coming out, blah, blah, blah. But just so you know, we also didn't score, uh, knowing what was coming every pitch. Damn. But honestly, that shows you how hard the game is, yeah. right? Like even the Astros, the Astros lost games doing that. They didn't win every single game. No. Um, I, I do find it interesting that these guys are coming out now the one that bothered me a little bit was uh, Mike Fires bothered me a little bit with how he handled that yeah. as far as he gets to Oakland, right? He gets away from the team and now he's suddenly it, it, it hurts him. It hurts him to think about. And like, if you go read those articles when he talks about it, like, yeah, I didn't agree with it. I didn't. Well, then why weren't those conversations had in the clubhouse with your team while it was happening? Um, it's not like it was a secret. Um, you know, that part kind of bothers me, but so like, I'm happy. Uh, what I'm getting at is I'm happy. Evan didn't say that. Evan wasn't like, man, I, we really shouldn't have been doing this. He came out and was like, you know, like we did this. Shouldn't yeah. have been doing it. We we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I don't, you know, it's a, it's a, it's such a, a volatile thing because like, I do think every team has some form of not illegal, but like some form of trying to figure out signs. I mean, that's like I said, that is what we have done since you've learned how to play the game is you try to figure out signs. And, and I think if you're not doing that, you're missing the boat. You're, you're not doing everything you could be to win the baseball game. You've got to find an edge and, and however you can find that edge, you got to do it hopefully within the bounds of the, the rule book and um, everything you're able to do. But with that, the other team needs to understand. Now I'll tell you this too. Like there were some easy, there are some easy fixes to that. Like one of the things they did right after, like the next year or the year after is they put all the in-game, um, all the in-game cameras that were showing home plate. were on a three second delay. Do you know how simple that would have been? That's all you had to do. That's it. As soon as that, because now I can't give you this sign because yeah. the pitch is already on the way. 
And, and this is a problem that unless you run into a Kenta Maeda thing or somebody figures out how to wire pitch com to, to relay into your clubhouse, like, which I don't, I don't think we'll run into that issue. But now in the era of pitch com, those that don't want signs stolen don't have to have signs stolen. So thankfully, tech has moved us to the point where this is in the rear view entirely and this won't happen again. But I'm with you, man. Like, that's what you tried to do in high school baseball. The runner at second tried to pick up the signs and you needed to be diligent. You you needed to have that conversation. And you as a catcher know, hey, man, it's the second sign after two or or anything like that. Well, and you knew, you know, like I said, it's it's that just with added technology. It's that with the ability that you have more more on it. So as a catcher, not only do I have to know, like I'm already I already when I was catching, I would pay attention to the guy at second base. When I was giving my signs, typically, I wasn't even looking at the pitcher. I may look at him at the end to see if he was going to shake or not. The whole time I'm giving my signs, I'm looking at the guy on second to see if he's going to do anything differently. If I give a fastball, if I give a curveball, I would give fake signs. There were times that I would give a sign intentionally knowing I was going to call timeout to see what that guy would do. Yeah. Uh, You know, so no doubt, like, all that is 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 just doing that and have the catchers need to know that they need to change. You know, this is a the stakes are higher, right? Like as a kid, you're in high school, you want to win a state championship. Now you're trying to win a five hundred million dollar contract. Yeah. The stakes are just higher. Like you're gonna try to win more. I mean, it's um, you know, and you're also smarter. Like you're uh, older, you're smarter, you have more knowledge in your brain. Yeah, you're ready to go. Yeah. I find that I find that really interesting. And like you obviously know that count and mouse game really well. You know, how often did you run into the situation where you saw a guy at second doing something you would call time and you would go change your signs with with your pitcher? Um a couple times a year. A couple times a year you'd get a sense of, hey, uh, I think this guy's got it. Um, I'll tell you though, I, I love the pitch com. I think the pitch com is a great thing for baseball. We're talking about ways to save time. Just to honestly, like it, even if it doesn't save time, the guys are going to be, the catchers are going to be crossed up so much less. Yeah. That the game's going to go faster. The pitcher has more input. The whole thing, the whole thing is, and you know, now you have the ability to go, I want a fastball down in a way or fastball up in a way. And before when I'm using my fingers, I had ways that I could do that using my glove hand, right? But I couldn't necessarily tell you exactly where I wanted every pitch. Now, if I want a two-strike curveball in the dirt, sometimes I'll have a an actual button that'll tell the guy, hey, throw this in the dirt. So, you know, I think that that is going to add a lot to this. Um, and I'm glad, you know, AAA guys get to use it this year too, which I'm really glad about. Because yeah. that was a part last year. It was like guys were coming up from AAA having no idea how to use the pitch comp. And part of the clock should be affected like the reason that they can do the clock in the big leagues easier is because they have pitch comp, right yeah. i don't have to come on get signs i can just give the sign boom real quick done now you 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 have used pitch comp yeah i used it last year in spring training yeah so um and i guess maybe i should just leave this to my imagination but i always just kind of think like it's a siri voice that, that's telling me this it, stuff it is it's a siri voice it's siri but you can change it oh what can you change it to I think what I think like there's multiple. I think there's all types. That's really you know, like some sexy Australian woman. Sweet things into your ear. Yeah, oh. like like a GPS fastball up and in. Yeah, that would be perfect. Um, 
No, so I know it's available in, in English, Spanish. I think Shohei has it in Japanese as well. I think you can like program different languages. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's, I'm sure, I don't, I'm positive that there is English, Japanese, Spanish, Korean, and Chinese for the Taiwanese guys. Got you. Okay. I would assume that there's also maybe Italian. Uh, do they speak something else down under? I'm just yeah, they speak no, down. it's English. I was kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't pick up on that joke in a long day. <laughs> I love that it's a Siri voice. That's so much fun, and that makes the pitch comp so much better for me. Um, yeah, it does. It's it's a honestly, man, the pitch comps um as as cool for me. Like I, I love it. And I think, you know, it's it's untra- untraceable. <laughs> Can't trace it. <laughs> it. Sounds like a hard drug that you can get past the drug program. Gosh, man. I'll tell you what. But no, this I'll tell you what's interesting, man, is being back here and extended with these kids again. This has been this has been interesting with me. Uh this is, you know, the first time, the last time that I was below double A was, was 2013. So it's been 10 years since I've been under double A. So I haven't been around guys this age um, in a long time. And it's so cool to see just like where we're at as a, as a, as a world, you know, Um, I'm getting to see a little bit of Tamar Johnson right now because he's down here rehabbing, getting ready. How does he look? Uh, He looks good, man. He's athletic. Um, you know, he can, he can really hit, um, you know, there, there's a, that bat is, uh, is really talented. I think it'll be a question of, uh, how polished it is. And I just say that from my own, um, ignorance, I haven't watched him play enough, so I don't know how polished the bat is, but yeah. like, I know yeah. one of the biggest, um, you know, things about Indy Rodriguez is the fact that yes, he hits 40 doubles and 25 homers, but he puts together quality at bats as a young kid. He has really, he's a very mature hitter. Um, we have another kid. We have a kid, we have a kid down here that's going to be, that's going to catch for us. Uh, his last name's Plaz, and he's young. I think he was 16 last year in the Dominican, and he was one of the best players down there. And everybody that I've heard, it's funny because, you know, I feel like a couple years ago, your best hitter, you would have never heard this. This never would have even came up, but like everybody in the system has gone, dude, like, this guy's our best hitter and he's got the best approach as a 16 year old. He's, he knows what he's doing in the box. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun being around these guys. Um, And, but it has definitely been just a a different, it's a different day, right? Like guys in triple a are trying to accomplish a different goal than the guys that are down here. So it's just something that I got to get used to, but I'm excited about, man. I'm excited to try to get guys better and 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 be a part of that, you know, next generation of of great baseball because I had such great people around me that I I just really hope that I can be that for somebody. Love that, man. Uh, and I am excited to hear how. Uh, well, are you 32 right now or 33? 33. I'm excited to hear how 33 year old Taylor Davis works with like 17, 18 year olds. It's kind of good. I feel. I understand that you're a coach, but I don't know. I just can't see you as like the teacher student type vibe. Like I, I don't see you, you know, I'm like the sub. I'm like the cool sub. Like yeah. the but coach shit doesn't get out of hand. No, you. like I'm like the coach that I'm like the coach that comes into sub, but because everybody likes you, they respect you. So like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna like throw stuff around because we want you to stick around. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not fair. I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good spot. I love that. All right. Uh, we've got a whole bunch to talk about uh, this coming week. We're going to talk steroids. We're going to talk bounce backs. We're going to talk a whole bunch of stuff. Taylor, this was fun, man. Love it. Love it.